0: Coming up on this episode of the Delta Huddle podcast.
1: I often go back to what is what is our mission? So like, mm-hmm. why are we doing this? I tend to be very motivated by the why. And so that makes a big difference. And then the other piece is, for me, I am extremely passionate about, are we improving the caregiver experience? Mm-hmm. Um, are we making it better for those people that are working in hospitals? And are we improving things for patients? And so- um, Again and again, I go back to that space to say, are we doing it? And then are we doing it in a way that makes sure that we can, we can scale it, we can continue to do it?
0: Hey, welcome back to the Delta Huddle podcast. I'm Stefan Stenroos. One of the things I really love about hosting the Delta Huddle podcast is that we get to talk to guests and experts from all sorts of different industries, whether that's transportation, fitness, uh, B2B platforms, et cetera. And today's episode is amazing because we get to dive into another industry that's very unique, has its own set of unique challenges, and that's healthcare. And with healthcare, you have things like HIPAA compliance, you have users and practitioners who are operating on 12-hour shifts sometimes. So it's a very unique in- environment to beta test in. Um, and today's guest really shown a lot of light on how to test properly in that environment how to have a lot of buy-in from the teams around you, um, and how to run a really effective beta program in such a unique industry. And that's Casey Hamar, Senior Program Manager for beta and user testing at Striker. Striker is a huge player in the healthcare field. If you haven't heard of them before, they create all sorts of different hardware that lives inside hospitals and helps improve the experience for not just caregivers, but also patients. Um, and during our conversation, Casey talked about things like building uh, you know, a body of context around feedback by testing with different audiences in different hospitals, how building relationships with those hospitals allowed her to expand their beta program, um, and also why healthcare is so unique to work in. Uh, I really enjoyed our conversation. This was a great episode. I think you'll love it too. So let's go ahead, hop right into it. Um, so Casey, thank you so much for joining us on the Delta Huddle podcast. Um, I was doing some research before today's episode, and I didn't realize the, the scope of Striker. You know how large uh, you guys are over there. Um, you guys do so much stuff, um, and I just like to hear more about your beta program and the scope of the beta program.
1: Great. Well, thank you so much. Um, well, I'm I'm in a division of Striker Striker that's called Acute Care, and then with that, um, I support our legacy Bocera products. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, primarily. And so that is where most of my work done. And we call that clinical communication and workflow. Um, That's where where most of the work is done. Um, So for clinical communication and workflow, these are primarily um, tools that help support clinicians and hospitals uh, with with communicating. And so it's a mix of applications. Um, So they're communication applications. We also have hardware most people would recognize it like the vocera badge. If you walked into a hospital many times, you'll see people wearing something that looks a little like um, something from Star Trek um, <laughs> around their neck. And so yeah. actually, that's what our founders, everything has internal names or historically said internal names that were based on top Star Trek. Um, but it's very cool. It's these badges that allow people to communicate with each other. And then we also have um, intelligent middleware that has defined um, kind of rules that make it so that when someone is in a hospital, um, they're able to track what's happening and then connect to the right person at the right time. If a nurse is in the room with a patient um, and they need help, they're able to say, call the charge nurse or, Maybe there's a time where we also, like with our, our middleware, it can actually track um, certain things like with our striker beds, it has the ability to see if like the beds don't have the the, um, the rails up the way they're supposed to. And so from the bed, it can contact our middleware, which then contacts the nurse who is taking care of the patient in that room to say the bed rail is not up. So that the nurse can go and take care of that because that patient is now a fall risk. So almost everything is based on clinical workflows that are needed. Um, how do you make sure that a patient is getting the care that they need? Um, and while there's we we do have functionality on our badges that makes it so that if somebody is has something called a panic button. So if a nurse needs or any clinician needs help, they can they can use that to um, connect to the right team security team or whoever it is that's been de- designated um, to have them come help them. but it's it's not pinpoint like location um, and, and you know each each hospital system tends to have different kind of guidelines around how they want to track or and support their nursing teams
2: i met you a couple a a while ago at this point and i i love that it's such a complex environment and ecosystem that these products like you're talking about integrations with other products in the same kind of environment now what was cool to me is like oh what does beta look like in that kind of environment and i i'd love to hear you just kind of explain your your program because i think it's so special and unique and it, it I will say complex, but uh, hopefully you can uh, shed some light on that.
1: (laughs) You know, the beta, um, because it is, we do have a lot of integrations and we have an amazing integration team. Uh, We're agnostic to integration. So Hmm. this is one of the, I think it's really cool. We have all of these people that are um, clinicians or experts in this that essentially partner with other organizations that provide care to hospitals. So they have tools in hospitals and they make sure that essentially, how do we make this so that? It's it's better for our clinicians. What are the things that we're doing to to improve healthcare? Um, from a beta perspective, it does mean that it ends up being a bit more complex um, because we're testing different products with different end users and kind of different setups. Um, and so we always start with sort of a the, one of the first steps is of course we do an evaluation to say is this. Beta needed. We have a tool to help with us, help that conversation. Um, And then after we've done that, we take the time to say, okay, what are our success metrics? How are we going to gather that data? What is needed? Um, And kind of a first pass at that. And then what we do is we do the same thing for like, what are we going to need from a customer? So what are those? Who are the partners that we'd want to do this with? What kind of technology do they need to have? What are the type of users? like, how innovative are they? What what will we need in order to make sure this is really a good fit? Um, and then the other big piece is we start off by internally identifying who are our internal subject matter experts for whatever that beta is to say, we want to make sure that we build the best test, but also that we're doing this in a way that we gather the right data and we are creating... Um, what, we're doing this in a way that best supports the clinicians who will be using it. So we want this to be an excellent exper- AI experience for the clinicians, for the hospital that's our partner, and then also for our internal teams. And so it really has to start with that, who are the subject matter experts to define all of those pieces.
2: That's great. And you, you talked about setting some success metrics. Now, I, I the, the common success metrics I see are things like hitting a certain net promoter score, a satisfaction level, or like making sure that we, we don't have any critical or major issues. Now, are your success metrics any different than those or, or how are they uh, unique in your space?
1: Um, It would be very similar to that for a lot of it. but. W- we're, we're usually looking to make sure, you know, validate that it's working the way it's supposed to. And then it it's meeting certain quality, um, you know, whatever that performance level is that we have an expectation of. We do all of that. Um, we always are looking for feedback, um, from the end users to say Mm -hmm. we have a, what is that score that we want? But a lot of times we also, a big part of this is let's say we have a beta, um, because we're working with hospitals, we wanna make sure we get all of those test metrics, but a big part of it is also that we walk away and at the end of it, our, our partner in this, our customer, um, says, I wanna test with you again. Maybe they don't love the product. Maybe they said, this wasn't, this isn't a great fit for us, or you know, we need a few more iterations to make this really um, more helpful for our clinicians, um, but we wanna test with you again um and and we say from that perspective we want to say that like they felt fully supported, we listened, we responded and we made sure throughout the process that like we had a team that gave them essentially white glove support. We that with every test that is one of our starting goals.
2: Yeah. Now I'd love I'd love to hear a little bit more about that why. Why is that so important that we're providing that good experience to that those those i'll, I'll call them customers because a lot of the cases this, this, these are customers of yours why is it so important to have them have a good beta experience
1: i, I think t- I, if we go to sort of the core of this i think the first piece is like the the whole striker mission is that together with our customers um we're improving healthcare. so like we start Love off that. with this is our mission, <laughs> this is what we're gonna do, and we have values that we um, attach to each op- to all of those. So we actually say like with each of those, we're gonna start off and um, and make sure that we, we have it with integrity, accountability, people, and performance. So we have that defined, and we actually define that from our beta test. But the other big part is what we're testing, in most cases, we're testing, um, products with clinicians in hospitals and so it needs to be a great experience because the work that we're doing like the test is important I, I absolutely believe that the tests are it's important to the work that we're doing it's important to our products it's important to our business and the work that those clinicians do are doing is life-saving like they what they're doing on a database that has to be the priority and so I'm that's for the the work that they do is priority what I'm doing is secondary and I have to be adding something that's positive to their life, not making things more difficult um so it's sometimes that can be a little bit of a hard line when you're testing products but it's 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 absolutely necessary especially like before COVID, things were hard. During COVID, it was really hard. And then sure, afterwards, yeah. like just healthcare as a whole is having so many challenges. And so we have to be in a space where we're, we're really looking at and saying, these are, we're partners in this process.
2: I absolutely love that. And I had not heard a lot of people bring in their, their company um, values and in those initiatives. Yeah. I remember having something similar at, at WD, WD, Western Digital, very into quality and reliability and that was like their their thing in the space so we had that everywhere like it was all over the walls it was on like every meeting that we're talking about we'd go over some of those things or at least all the hands and beta the beta program was an extension of that so not treating it with that same care with our customers we're kind of doing our we we would be doing our brand an injustice right so i love hearing about those specific initiatives and building like together is huge that co-creation aspect of we can not only make this better for you but your company and this whole industry seems like especially in the healthcare space very profound
1: (laughs) i I think i would say that that's one of you know i'm i started doing this position when i was working for vocera and then Bocera Mm -hmm. was acquired by Stryker, um and i have to say that one of the things that's been great about that is these mission statements tended to line up as we okay. kind of made this transition. And so I've been, um, you know, anytime you have an acquisition, there's there's moments where you think, oh, I hope that this is a good fit. Yeah, And that's yeah. the piece that I have to say I've been most, or one of the areas I've been most pleased with and I've been proud to be able to work for an organization where we come back to that again and again. And I have to say, um, in a position where you're doing testing you end up seeing all of these iterations right like you you see how things are made um and one of the things that i've been so impressed with is like when when there's tough decisions to be made i've watched our senior leaders go back to that and say this is who we are and this is how we're going to do the work and so this is the decision we're going to make and so many times that meant they were going to put more resources towards something or they're going to, we're going to shift a plan. Um, But it's one where I have to say it's been one where I've seen that aligning to our North Star is going to be what our mission is. And this is how we're going to do it. It's For me, that's been profound. And I think it's had a huge impact on our ability to test.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um, Earlier, you had mentioned kind of working with, uh, different clinicians and whatnot, and being able to empower them and uh, being able to collaborate with them as well. You know, I think co-creation is something that's really, really powerful. And like you said, you know, it's being part of that process and seeing the iterations that happen. Uh, One question I had is, do your tests sometimes change based on which clinicians you're testing with? Obviously, in healthcare, you have a wider array of practitioners and nurses, et cetera. Um, Is that something that you sort of um, pull the test towards, like, hey, we're working with this group, so we're kind of aiming for something different here?
1: Very much so. Um, (laughs) And sometimes that can be, like, it adds a lot of work, right? Uh, Because you have to make sure it's the the right fit. But many times we're having to say, okay, based on what we're testing, who are those end users and exactly how do we get the, the metrics to make sure this works? Or the other big piece is... We want to start off and say, in order to test something, it has to be the right fit, um, and so we're we adjust that throughout the process um, to make sure that it is. Or there, there have been times where we switched to where we thought, oh, we're going to go with this particular end audience, and ahead of time we decided, you know what, that's not that's not quite right. We're going to go with a different space.
0: Gotcha. And we'll, go ahead, Chris. Sorry. <laughs>
2: so uh, I actually going back to that you talked about in the planning stages the success metrics. And talking about your audience, and I feel like I want to kind of like I want to double click or, or dive into that a little yeah. bit. It's so it's so important, right? Understanding who you're going to bring into your market, not only for who you're going to recruit, but how you are going to create that test and support that test, and how that aligns with the objectives. Sometimes your audience won't align with the the objectives that you're trying to to get. So having those conversation early seems very important. And you know, I'd love for you to kind of expand on why it's so important for you in your space to be able to define who your user is before you start testing.
1: It's such a good question and it's one that can make it a little hard, right? Because you have to be able to do this and you have to have these open, um, kind of transparent conversations internally and with customers. And so, um, with, with our, our betas, because we're actually testing with clinicians in the hospital, I have to have a hospital. I have have a first agreement with a hospital. So I, mm-hmm. I start off by going, we, we start with our beta program. We actually define what are the success metrics? What are the subject matter experts? Um, you know, We have a, a long checklist of things we kind of work through, but a big part of it is we say, okay, who is the best fit for this? Like who is the best hospital and then who are the end users? And then I actually, I work well, um, I partner very closely with our sales team, and we take these opportunities to our customers or to select customers and say, "Would you like to partner us with us in this process?" And we start off by going through. This is exactly what we're testing. This is who we think we need to test with, and then we ask them for feedback to say, "This is what we need to test. This is who we think is the best audience. Is this right?" Um, and many times we'll do that multiple times, where you know we start off with maybe are a C-level executive at a hospital system who many times ends up being the sponsor of, mm-hmm. of the test. But then we're usually meeting with nursing directors, nursing managers, or even like clinical informaticists. So we're meeting mm-hmm. with these cross-functional teams across the hospital to say, this is what we're doing, this is what we're testing. Who is the, the very best person or team to be testing mm-hmm. this? Um, okay. We want to, We don't want to test something where it is the wrong fit. Um, And so we do this validation multiple times in different areas. And it goes beyond just fit too. Sometimes it's ones where we'll talk to a hospital. A recent partner was uh, one of the hospitals we worked with was absolutely amazing. But when we start off, we said, oh, these are the units we thought. And they said, well, you know what? One of the units tends to be incredibly innovative. They love anything where they get to try something new. There's another one that no, they've been having some staffing. You know, there's been a lot of changes. They've had some of their lead nurses recently retire. Um, they're stretched pretty thin right now. It's not like it, the this maybe is something they'd want to do, but we don't think that right now innovation is a good space for them. And so it has to be sort of this multi layered conversation.
2: I want to break about two parts because I think they're so so valuable to so many people working with the sales team. Now, I know that's a big thing in the B2B space is getting involved with your sales team. They know the customers are in regular conversations with them. What, what do you think the value is for that account team or that sales team to work with you to get these people part of beta? Like, what, what value are we adding to the sales team where they want to help us do anything?
1: Um, you know, that when first starting the beta program, that was one of the first pieces we had to kind of to take a step. Um, step towards is kind of defining. How do we make sure this best supports them? And I think there's a couple things that really matter. The first one is it's an incredible way to build these really deep, engaged relationships um, with the customer. Because it's for us when we're working with the hospitals, we're not just working with like maybe it's not maybe the person that's buying the product, but we're working with all of these nurses, leaders. We're every every in the tests I'm getting to, or we're getting to test, um, with people across the organization, we have all of these really like deep relationships, which is amazing. And I also go back to like engagement, um, isn't just about like having an amazing experience. There's all of this research that's done on, um, on service recovery, right? Like how do you handle it when things don't go well? And, um, in in any beta test we want it to go really well but one of the best places you can hear things is when they say you know what this is this is what i love and this is where you have some opportunity and so being able to say we heard the opportunity and we actually responded to it I i think it's one of the most beautiful ways to build those really deep relationships like it means that it's not just a customer now you're partners like you are partners in actually building this together and then um I kind of go back to, I remember years ago, I had a mentor who, um, she was a C-level executive at a hospital system. And she said, you know, if you handle complaints well, like you handle recovery well, service recovery well, people are actually more loyal than if things went perfectly. Because it means that you are there to really serve. And she said, you know, it's kind of like if you have those friends that you can call in the middle of the night because maybe you need help something with somebody, those friends that you can call in the middle of the night are those friends that you really have that deep relationship. Not that we'd want to do that, you know, with testing. But the other part of it is there are times where you say, you know, we're testing something, we're going to hear something that that is challenging, and how do we respond? And it builds those like they we heard it, we responded, we made it right, um, and tell us more. And so. I love that. So I guess if I go back to your original question, I think it's a great way to build engagement. I think you get a touch base with with these other places or these other um, end users that a lot of times you don't get to do this with. And then the other part of it is it means that you have hospitals are actually helping. In our case, we have customers that are helping us build and prioritize the products. Like they're giving us a roadmap and saying, this is what we need for the future.
2: Yeah. I imagine those salespeople too love those those deeper relationships, right? So, kind of like they help you find good customers that are going to be testers. You provide a good experience, and now that customer has a deep relationship with multiple people inside your organization. And it's um, speaking from a SaaS perspective in a B two B world, we love those deep connections because it's 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 harder to extract those. If if I have no relationship with the company, it's easier to unsubscribe, return like leave without any problem so i can see sales like lighting up at the oh yeah you're going to great experience with the the beta program they get to potentially use something that's great i get to hear anything that's working well or isn't and it's just that all that seems like you know good flags for why sales would want to help out with with someone uh, on a beta program
1: our our sales team has been absolutely like every step of the way it's one that that relationship has made it so it's possible for us to test and they're they're the ones that are helping us um, kind of drive deeper into being able to test more and get this feedback so that we're building better products and then also we're supporting our customers in a in a it is more of a customer success relationship
2: yeah yeah one thing Stefan I'm sure you have an, a, a, <laughs> a, are going to want to turn in a different direction but yeah Okay, so when I first met you I, I I reached out and I talked kind of about this beta community right a, a community for beta program managers and I name dropped someone that I had no idea that you were going to be like oh yeah I talked I talked to her already so we have Jenna coming out to speak at an event uh, in October this will be back past that point so fix this the fun yeah um, but you you said yeah I've already I've already connected with with Jenna right that's that's one person that you were able to connect with, she's a, a long-time friend of of Centercode. So, I just want to kind of click on that community aspect. Why, why is it so important for you to connect with other beta program managers, other people in the beta space, in these other industries?
1: So that's um, it. Jenna was actually incredibly helpful, and there's been quite a few people that I think are. part of your community that i've reached out to when i first started this position i actually i went on linkedin and i just started looking for anybody that was supporting betas and i started reaching out to them and saying so i'm new to this position this is what we have in place what are things that i need to know about and it was kind of like what are what are the best practices what are lessons learned Um, what are the tools that you use Um, what are things that i should be um, be aware of and so I think just being able to start a program or to build program and have those best practices and what we're learning, including or included in that, is one of the best ways to do that. Is to actually be connecting with these other other professionals.
0: Yeah, uh, having <laughs> those sort of external beta champions is like really, really important. Like, um, yeah, oftentimes the thing that we've seen uh, with some of our other guests is. Some of those champions are internal you know they're pushing for the beta program internally with other teams whether that yeah. be you know c-level product et cetera, marketing um yeah but building also that network of like you know we have someone at this hospital who is really going to vouch for us when it comes to this and then you know we can start building that network so just that community aspect is something that i've always been fascinated with with beta and it, it's we touch on it every episode it's like once you build that community it's just like the fuel for the fire to keep the program going and you know you just kind of scale really nicely from there so um and and jenna's great hopefully one day we have her on the podcast i feel like (laughs) she's speaking
2: next week so (laughs) we'll bring
0: bring a camera and we'll we'll turn it into an impromptu episode or something but yeah yeah, it seems like if you have your name set enough on delta huddle eventually it's like Beetlejuice, (laughs) right so um,
2: i want to go on to one more thing that you're saying like when we I read this book. I'm trying to remember what the book was called. It was something about insights. I'll be able to I'll post it somewhere. Um, but insights come from the strangest places, right? So when we think about beta testing and say healthcare, and if you only connected with beta testing people in healthcare, your insights would be very limited. Sometimes you're gonna yeah. get insights from the the weirdest people, like I mentioned to you when we first talked. Alex Larson, who was at Trimble, he works for B2B and it's it's a big company, but like, say part of its fleet management for trucks. Yeah. He has such good insights for people that are on B2B that if you narrowed to just one industry um, that you're in, you're, you're just kind of crippling yourself in terms of what you could be implementing in your program. So that's why I, I love that. Like, let's let's work with you reach out to jenna she's been at fitbit she's been at bose she's been at uh, peloton she's been at uh, irobot that's that's a a good diverse audience and none of those are healthcare
1: <laughs> yeah but i feel like there's so many times that it's those everybody has built these programs and those best practices or those foundation pieces with there's so many tips and tricks they can give i also feel like sometimes it's good to be able to just connect and say this is the challenge I'm having and having somebody else say, yeah, I have that same challenge. I haven't figured it out. Like <laughs> <laughs> I don't have the answer. And just having somebody sort of say, yeah, well, these are a couple ways that you can make it a little better, but we're still working on it. And you know, those times where you, it, you can get a little discouraged. And so having other people to say, these are ways that you can fix this or we haven't figured it out makes such a huge difference.
2: Definitely. Yeah.
0: So That's beta great. managers, if you're out there, Start networking like crazy. Join our Discord. I have to name the Discord. The Discord. Yeah, join the Discord. So get conversations um, going. <laughs> great conversations. Yeah. Um, wanted to switch gears a little bit, um, and you touched on this uh, a little earlier. Um, you know, just the ability to be able to kind of work with healthcare professionals and really empower them to to do more and to really succeed in their roles. Uh, it sounds like that's something that you're really passionate about in the space. So I just wanted to ask, like. What really drives you in beta testing? What's that one thing that you always go back to? It's like, yeah, this is why I'm here. This is why I'm in the space doing what I do.
1: Um, like, I think there's two kind of areas that I go back to. So I always, I often go back to what is, what is our mission? So like, you- why are we doing this? I tend to be very motivated by the why. And so that makes a big difference. And then the other piece is for me, I am, extremely passionate about are we improving the caregiver experience Mm -hmm. Um, are we making it better for those people that are working in hospitals and are we improving things for patients and so um again and again i go back to that space to say are we doing it and then are we doing it in a way that makes sure that we can we can scale it we can continue to do it
0: And it must be really rewarding. I'm sure there's been a couple tests where you've been like, we can see the impact and we can see where that feedback is coming through, right? Because I, you've built these kind of close relationships with the caregivers, with the practitioners. So, um, you know, that that must be a big boost for you as well, right?
1: It is. It's like hearing when, we, when things go incredibly well is lovely. Like yeah. I, that always feels great. But I would also say like the transparency and being able to know where something isn't quite right, like or where <clears throat> we have opportunity is so rewarding too because it means that we've identified it and we can do something about it before it goes like it we've been able to hear this and respond to it with a small number of people so that those partners that we have like those nurses that we're testing are going to improve what happens for nurses all over the world yeah and so that is one of the areas where like not that i celebrate when we hear um, where there's opportunity, but I think it is one of the best parts is to be able to say we identified it and we were able to to improve this before this rolled out to you know hundreds and Everybody. hundreds of other places. yeah other yeah. hospitals thousands of end users
2: and the time it takes to get that back after say like post launch so you launch something the time it takes to get back into the funnel is pretty ridiculous. When you have these programs, it's kind of like embedded. That feedback goes directly to the people that can make the decision before it goes out. If it has to go through support and you know anything on the customer service side and eventually work its way back and then have to get into development, it's we're talking months after launch to get any of those changes made.
1: Well, we're really lucky, too, because many times when we're beta testing, not always, but many times we'll actually be on site. So okay. we're in a hospital on a unit and we're going to actually like, I'll have the head of engineering, the the head of product or the portfolio, whoever owns that product will have the person who's the head of support for that. And they're actually there watching someone interact with it. And so they, it is like they're in the space while someone's using it. And when you have that yeah. direct contact, it just, the weight of it, and there's a new weight to it. It makes such mm-hmm. a big difference.
2: So observation. So that those ethnographic studies are. Ama- I love ethnographic studies. So when you get that observation, it's such an added context. We can hear stuff from from customers inside, you know, forums and posts, and like you being able to observe something. You might be able to explain something that they're doing that they don't even know that they're doing. Mm-hmm. So that huge yep. context
0: add.
1: Yep. Yeah.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um, another thing that kind of ties into that is collaboration, you know, uh, seeing other, you know, testers or customers, et cetera, coming in and collaborating, be able to say like, hey, I'm running into this issue here. And then someone can come in and say, we ran into the same thing in, in this, you know, setting, different setting, yeah. you know, it just adds that yeah. total context and really builds out the feedback in a way that you can't just say it's anecdotal anymore, right? You can't just say, well, that's just one person having this, and it gets swept under the rug, no. you know, being able to build that kind of uh, body of of feedback and, you know, massive amount of context is, is incredible. And uh, is that something that you've run into? I mean, it sounds like. You're,
1: oh, absolutely. You know. Yeah. Right. It's the, well, Dep- oh, and the context makes such a huge difference yeah. too. Um, so many times you can kind of see, well, there's some, there's something in the data that isn't quite right. And you know yeah. it, but you don't know why. And so it really helps to get to the, oh, why exactly is this happening so that we can make it right.
2: It's such, you need you need a diverse set of data. This is yeah. I, I was just reading something earlier. Someone was talking about just kept collecting, say, qualitative data. There's yeah. so much in the quantitative realm that helps with qualitative data. And same thing with when we talk about uh, an attitude and behavior. Attitudes are things that people would say. So these are things that your testers yeah. would say. And the um, the behaviors are things that they're doing. And a lot of times they yeah. can't necessarily report on those things that they're doing. So like this combination of, uh, I think it's NN group that really had this with um, Christian Rohr. He talked about this quadrant of qualitative and quantitative and attitudinal and behavioral data is like that makes up a wonderful landscape of the data that you can collect from users to kind of tell this story, to get that impact, to make a better uh, experience for everybody.
1: I love that you're... Or just the fact that you're pointing out that you have all of these different options right? and that it yeah. makes a much better picture if you have it all together.
2: Oh mm-hmm. yeah. You can't, you, it's I, one thing that I've, I learned I, I got my, my UX certification from NN group back in 2013. Like, it's been a while. Um, she might've been, no, it was 2013. I think it's 2013. Um, But if you get stuck with one research method, one test method, and you just try to apply everything to it, you're going to just muddy everything that you get from it and you're not going to get the right data. So a lot of times when a product manager or anybody's coming in saying, hey, I want to run a survey and I want to get this data. And you're like, oh, that's that's probably not the best method to get that thing that you you want. Uh Uh, And there may be a handful of things that we have to do. We may have to run yep. you know, some interviews and maybe uh, some surveys, and we, we we may have to run a beta test or an ethnographic study where we have to go on site and watch them. It really depends yep. on the situation. You can't just limit yourself to nope i'm I'm doing a survey because it's easy, right, or I'm yeah. going to do zoom interviews because I can spend 30 minutes <laughs> and talk to somebody, and I'll check off the box and say, "Yep,, yeah. I talked to somebody, and they said it's fine uh, that's not that's not real <laughs> by any means.
1: It makes, I, I couldn't agree with you more, and we find this a lot in betas because there's always a, you know, it's a, it feels like it'd be easy to just send out a survey, right? But if we think, of again, if with healthcare, if you have a nurse, nurses aren't on their phones all the time. They're not answering yeah. emails. So uh, an email link to a survey, or even if you have QR codes, however, collecting that it tends to be one of the areas where I might be, I'll get a small set of people that will actually respond, but I tend to get answers that are sort of like, yes and no, or mm-hmm. we, we know that they like it or they don't like it, but I have no idea why. And so we have to be able to combine it with these other, with other research methods. Otherwise it just, it's, um, it's data that doesn't get us to what do we actually need to do about this.
2: Yeah. I think I, I mentioned this when we called, I won't call off the specifics, but we were working with a company that the the target market was people on ships, right? So our our admin or our, our main user was the ship captain, uh, specifically someone in the IT side near the management of the ship captain, but then yeah. the users were all the people on the boat. Yeah. Now, if you can imagine, those people on the boat are not going to want to necessarily sit on a platform and submit all their feedback in a web browser. They're probably not going yeah. to do that. So there, there has to be another way. How am I going to get this data from these users where it's the way that they would give feedback? Like, do I need to have a call with them? Do I need to, you know, send them an email, then let them respond back? Do I need to give them a notebook and then grab all this data when they come back to land and they can give it to me? Like, yeah. what is what's the best way I'm going to get the right information? from this this user and it's always take that user into account when you're thinking about what the best way to run the test is because not every user is going to respond to the survey not every user is going to respond to um maybe the interview maybe some people are too shy Uh, maybe people are too busy (laughs) that's a that's a big one especially with your nurses uh they're working my sister works very long shifts and she's a she's a she was an er nurse so she's she's very Very busy, and it's like if you wanted to get feedback from her, it's the time that she's sleeping, and she's not going to give you feedback.
0: (laughs) Yeah, just dream up a feedback ticket. We'll we'll get it eventually.
2: Yeah, Yeah. (laughs) we'll have to talk to her on Instagram when she's on her day off. That's that's how I'm going to get in touch with my sister.
0: And uh, kind of piggybacking off of that, you know, what are some of the methods that you do use to get the feedback from people who are in these very busy positions where it's constantly, you know, working, sometimes 12-hour shifts, right, always on call, etc.?
1: You know, that's, uh, so this is one of those kind of fun spaces where we, when we start the test, we go through and we say, these are all of the metrics that we need to collect and how are we going to collect it? And in most cases, we have, with almost everyone, we'll put together five or six different ways that we can get that data. Um, And and some of it we can get by, like, pulling it off of of Vocera or Striker analytics, right? Like, there's some of it we can collect automatically. So those analytics, of course, we have access to. But many times we're looking for um, more information about kind of the spaces of when things are working or not working, and exactly what's happening. And so we typically have to have it so we have teams on site. And then what we'll be doing is we'll be rounding, we're observing, we're collecting the information during training. Um, and then we'll be checking back and we have, like, we might have small focus groups, but we have all of these different touch points that we build in. Um, and we'll, many times we'll customize it based on whatever unit it is. So like the emergency department may be one where they'll let us round, but we, we, so we'll have somebody on site rounding and then they essentially, sometimes they'll be walking from room to room with someone or they're observing or, you know, they, we work all of that out with the hospital ahead of time. Um. And then we'll combine it with a lot of these other kind of, of tools. But it it does end it tends to be one of those spaces where we have to get a little more creative.
0: Yeah.
2: Absolutely. Sometimes you you need the creativity to collect the information. How you bring it together is important. Yep. At the end you do need something for you to be able to go through in a, a nice way, your team yep. to go through in a nice way. But we do want to make it easy for the the user. Right. We want to we, we want to not add friction to them in a lot of cases
1: we want to make it as easy for those end users as possible every step of the way and that's one of kind of our core tenets is we'll say when we're starting um we have to own the data collection so it means like if it means that we have um if we're going to be there at 3 a.m to be able to collect that that's what we'll do to make it so that this works really well but we want to make it so that this this
0: really serves those end users. Yeah. I love that dedication.
2: Fun to get get creative with some of those ways at, um, one time I was at a company and we did this thing called a bug bash. So we'd have, we had internal dog fooding, so we have our own team using our products. And it was always, it was like pulling teeth to try to get them to submit feedback. Like they just, I'm too busy to submit that feedback. So we, we did this thing. It was a trick that we had at our company. We brought cookies into a conference room. And our, for some reason, our floor of this office, like they smelled food, like if they saw food, they would come running, there would be like messages on people's like group chat saying, hey, there's food in the kitchen. <laughs> yeah. and it's like this message went out. There's cookies in this conference room. And what we had in there was a bunch of devices. So we had a bunch of devices set up and we wanted them to test certain experiences in each corner of this, this conference room that we tested. And then we had our logging tools. So, so we had someone on one side sitting there with the tool saying, Hey, here's the, the issue that this user ran into while trying to complete this, this task. Here's that problem that they ran into. And we just cycle through like a hundred people into this room. So in that one, you know. It was like a two-hour span. We got over 100 people through this to test out all these different experiences. like, man, sometimes you just got to get crafty. (laughs) And that best best practice may not work for every situation. And we needed feedback so we can get this off to the beta people. But we want to make sure that it was was functional enough uh, and not broken before it entered into real spaces.
1: (laughs) I love that. Yeah. For the cost of cookies. (laughs) It was...
2: (laughs) The cookies was the, 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 the winner in my book because it's how we <laughs> how we I don't want to say tricked them. It's like we coerced them. Huh. Right. So if like I imagine if in at Center Code if I were to go say, Hey, there's stickers inside, like cool stickers inside this office space, people would kind of flock over there and, and make their way and like, Oh yeah, that's cool. It may not be cookies. That was our old place, but
0: Yeah. So- exactly. Yeah. So you need some kind of carrot on the stick to get people to uh, you know, get in there, right? So um, whatever works. Um, so you have data coming in from all these streams, right? Five or six different ways of getting it, you know. Now you have this, you know, massive amount of data. How are you guys breaking it down and going through it and actually seeing, you know, where are the correlations, where are the causations, et cetera?
1: Um, so we we tend to be doing that throughout the beta. So as all of the data is coming in, we're watching it and, and kind of breaking down as, you know, step by step to make sure we're doing it. But um, whatever possible, we're using tools that make it so it's much easier for us to collect the information. So if it's a, a survey tool or if it's a tool that just allows us like rounding tools that let us collect the data quickly. Um, and then we typically have like as part of those subject matter expert teams, we have certain team members that are actually going through it. So many times all owns chunks of that where I'm actually evaluating and reviewing it and then making sure that we review that with the um we always have a process that's defined that says when we, we when we have this we have who who's informed who has to make decisions and what's the timeline that they have to to make this decision so we're kind of working through that um throughout the beta um, and then we break it out based on who the team members are that are experts in those spaces
0: gotcha And then how often are you guys having um, conversations with stakeholders? Is it something that's kind of weekly? Um, Are you doing it towards the end of the test? Are they always constantly involved with how the data is coming in and how you guys are break down the feedback?
1: For our stakeholders, we we usually have a kind of broken out into like a core, primary, secondary. Um, And then for the core team, um, it's usually broken into like the first week. We're meeting at least for a huddle once a day to um, gather feedback and hear how things are going to respond. Um, and then after that first week, um, in most cases, we're looking at it at least once a week. Um, and then for for those other um, kind of, for any of those like primary, secondary teams, we have a communication plan that's kind of updating them as we go through this process. So kind of we treat it similar to if it was a go live of a product. And so it's a defined communication that'll go out and you know at the beginning of the first day the second day the third day if there's an escalation then we have a different path that we we have defined but it's, it's um sort of a defined communication plan that's wow. awesome
2: i know we we operate in a, a similar way this is actually something i see is like a cross industry thing that weekly yeah. um presence is really useful We actually have something set up in our system to send out weekly updates to the admin and stakeholder teams. Like, here's what happened this week and testing and give like the the latest. It also has like the, I don't want to say like the, oh crap moments, something like that escalation, right? Like, Hey, something's, something's broken and it goes straight from that tester to an escalation team. And we have like flags in there that would say like, Hey, yeah, critical bug users unable to use the product anymore. It goes to that team. it, It triggers immediately. It won't be set up on that. That cadence, right?
1: Yes, so, I love that. Yep. Yeah. Yeah.
2: Kind of, kind of cool that, like, even things like that transcend the like specific <laughs> industry space, and it's like <laughs> there, there are just you but, know best practices that kind of apply regardless of what industry. Yeah,
1: you're yeah. yeah.
2: That book that I was refer uh, referring to is Seeing What Others Don't.
1: Oh, okay.
0: So <laughs>
2: it's, it's it's called The Remarkable Ways That We Gain Insights, and it was such a useful. Like they talked about how they got um, bioluminescence inside uh, for x-rays.
1: Wow, like how that, how that was
2: founded. And it was like this professor just wandered into a lecture hall that was, he just wanted to clear his mind. So he wandered into a lecture hall and he was sitting there just thinking about his, his um, trying to solve this problem for x-rays. And he, it was talking about an animal. Like it was an animal lecture about these animals that had bioluminescence and he he that's where he kind of discovered like oh this will work and it's like you find it in the the strangest places you would have never thought that this medical professional would have found it inside you know animal kingdom related items <laughs> so that's that was the the reference of like why i think it's so important to break out of your industry and and look at how others can help and how other yeah uh, in this case, beta program managers are doing it because they've been through some weird stuff and they've overcome it in a different way that you might not have been thinking about it. Yeah. Sorry, yeah. Sorry, didn't absolutely. mean to derail. I, <laughs> the book came up and I'm like, oh, this, it was such a good book when I read it. It was a while ago, thought- but it was such a good book. That,
0: that, that's a good point because, you know, a lot of the best discoveries are almost accidents, right? You stumble upon it not intending to, you know, see it. I think that's why testing is important because you could go in with, uh, an idea of what you want to see or the the issues that you might run into, right? And then I'm I'm sure you've seen this, Casey, is that the feedback you get is like, wow, they're discovering this thing that we had no idea could have been a problem, right? Or they find that golden bug. You know, golden bugs are a, a kind of internal term that we have here where it's like, man, if this went out, it would have absolutely, you know, maybe, you know, not really done the product well. It could have tanked the product, et cetera. And finding that within the test or the is brand. <laughs> or the brand. Yeah, the brand, if we want to go really crazy. So Um, But yeah, just being able to, you have to be open to it, right? And you were talking about transparency earlier is being able to have that open mind and say like, you know, we might be doing the test for X, Y, Z reasons, but we're going to run into A, B, C. Just being able to be open to it is so important.
1: Yeah. And no, I think it is incredibly important to have a defined plan ahead of time from a transparency perspective. So. Um, like who are we communicating to? Where are we communicating? If we have challenges, what is that escalation plan? Who has to know about it? And part of that is I always think I never want to have it. So like my sales team member gets a call from the customer a couple of days later, they join a call and they hear, oh, we actually had this challenge or we love this. So like making sure that those key stakeholders are informed. But the other part goes also for our leadership. Like I want to, I never want to have it so that, one of my leaders is surprised by a call and so if you're having challenges being able to celebrate that transparency and say hey this is what this is what we found this is what's being done this is or this is the decision that has to be made um i think you have to have that defined before you ever start a beta test so that no one is surprised
2: no silence ounce of of prevention right uh that's
1: that's,
2: yeah Yeah. That's what we always recommend too. You should always start with a, a plan. Even if it's simple, basic. Who what are we testing? Why are we doing it? When we plan to do yep. it, who we're testing with. Like yep. a yeah, one pager, just something where we can get in a room, cool. chat with, or get on a Zoom call and chat with a couple people and say, hey, here's what we're trying to do. Like, is everyone yeah. aligned with this? That alignment is really key because if you don't have it and you go run a test and you come back with some data, you're getting a lot of people that are going to throw some stuff at you. They're not going to be happy with what you had done or, or why you had done it. They're, they're yeah. going to fight you. Uh, that's or they'll question tension.
1: the results, right? You'll have data. Oh, yeah. and they'll say, you need to retest this because I don't agree with it.
2: Yeah. I've gotten a lot of my early days. This is the wrong user. They'd say like, this isn't, my market wouldn't say this. And I'm like, this is is what they're saying. So every point forward, I said, okay, who are we testing with? You tell me who you want. We're going to run a screener. We're going to get those people. Now, when we get into the conversation and here's what they're saying, you show them, hey, this is they're, they're fitting this market description, right? They're, they're, they're fitting this persona. They're, they're fitting this, you know, psychographics, demographics, they're fitting everything that you kind of set forth to me. So either you give me the wrong information, um, or this user's lying. And I, I feel like I want to trust the users give me the right information.
1: Yeah, Yeah.
2: Especially if they're a customer.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. But if you're always armed with the data, right? If you have that data there and all of that kind of, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Objective. Kind of information, right? Yeah. goes back to what we were saying earlier about context and just having that ability to really flesh out the feedback. Then you yeah. can say, like, well, you know, we have, you know, customers here, here, and here. They're all saying this. They had it in these different perspectives, et cetera. Yeah. I think that's another really important thing is, you know, the and, diversity
2: uh, perspectives, right? Yeah. I mean, that, that plan. So I've been in the space. I understand this problem very nicely. Yeah. You need to have that, that CYA, yeah. we'll call it cover your ass, because okay. you're going to get people that are going to fight against you, right? Yeah. Because it's uh, I don't want to keep saying like you're, you're, you're calling your baby ugly, right? So like, hey, this is negative feedback from our user. And if you have someone sitting there fighting you the whole way, it's like a horribly negative time. And that happens a lot with beta program yeah. managers. Your job is really to define what's not working and what's working. So you're going to run into like some some conflicts because people thought that's what was going to work. And now you're yeah. just voicing from the, the user's behalf. Here's what they're saying. Uh, and sometimes it, they think you're interpreting it a different way, or maybe people are interpreting it a different way. But you know, getting down to that grassroots of like, this is user feedback. This is the voice of our customer. I'm just trying to amplify it internally. Um, transparency is the best way, uh, and collaboration is the best way to to counteract that.
1: And with our, just kind of on that point of, you know, if you know that there's going to be somebody who may not agree with results, this is. I work very closely with our design team. We follow the same process where, as part of this, well, we define who those end users are. One of the things we also like to do is say, okay, who are people that need to actually care the results, or um, that you know, who, who should be helping define the questions because we need them to be supporting us. Who needs to because they're an engineer, or they're somebody who's going to help develop it. But the other one is, who are key leaders in the organization um, who. This the results will impact them so they should be able to hear it so that it isn't secondary. And so often yeah. with those people, we'll actually reach out to them and say, We know you're a key leader in this organization or you're supporting this. These are this is what we're kind of this is what we're defining. Do you have any questions on or the areas you want to input? And then the other part is actually asking them to sit in on results sessions. So if we're interviewing, having them listen in. Because so many times, if you hear it yourself, it lands differently than if it's like even a written quote or if it's like if it's metrics, the analytics, it just feels different. And so then it then then you can be partners in in working together towards a better outcome versus like debating what somebody meant when they said it.
2: Yes, okay. absolutely. I did all that same. I've, that's worked well for me in the past bringing those people, especially to see it. Yeah. When I first started doing usability tests, like I first got into it many years ago, um, one of the best practices was like bring in one of your stakeholders and let them, let them watch it. So we had someone sit in there and watch it. We'd have recordings and all the stuff that they'd watch it and it was just like super eye-opening. They're like, oh, Man, right. So it's not like I was saying something was broken or busted. It's like no, they're they're watching the user and they're watching me not say anything either to like influence the negative behavior. Yeah. So yeah, inclusion is so key in these environments, especially when like you're a beta program manager. You can't fix anything yourself. You can't make a decision on the product yourself. You can't you know, market it, you can't sell it, you can't do anything. All you're there is facilitating this test with with users and you need to you're trying to get the information to the right people to make those decisions. And you don't want to yeah. be combative. You just want to give them the right stuff to be most useful because your mission. Right. Like you want yeah. to improve this product for the better of everybody. Yeah, like that's that's a, a key part of this. And for people that are, are struggling with that stakeholder buy in or the the, the 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 accuracy of data, Bring those people in try it earlier get them involved bring like casey's recommending get them in those results meetings so they're not just getting stuff tossed over the fence in an email and now someone's like hey why is this not working (laughs) no one's gonna like that email
1: i had um early in my career right after grad school i ended up landing with a um, large consulting firm that i worked with for quite a few years a lot of my work was around research or was in research but also um this firm is specifically known for change management and so i got to work with all of these um get contracts with about 95 percent of the fortune 500 and a lot of the work we did was around change management and those skills i've used like it's kind of a bit of the foundation of our our beta program is saying okay we have to think of this from a change management perspective because you need to be able to gather data in a way that is effective and efficient. And, you know, you're building these relationships, but at the the end what you have to have is trust um, and relationships that say, we want to do this again and we're going to do something about the results. So just to your point, Chris, when you said you're bringing in these stakeholders, like it's, that is so key to so many things where you're looking to say, I might collect data that is that is challenging, and so how do we make this easier to consume?
2: Definitely,
0: yeah. And uh, we we've kind of hearkened to it a lot during this episode. But I feel like the culture at Striker has been amazing for your program because it seems like you guys are just so open. Nothing is is really siloed. All the teams are connected and willing to communicate and um, work together to make sure that all that information is is shared properly. Like you said, you know, you you don't want to make it so that someone is surprised that a call came in, right? Or that uh, yeah. something's coming through. So I think that's that's really incredible.
2: Um, I, have a, I have a note here. This is this is something we used to say a long time ago. It was a, a, a customer validation professional, someone that does beta testing as a, as a professional, is a handful of things. And I'm gonna read just a couple of them because it, it stood out to me when we we're talking about that. Um, part-time psychologist, <laughs> part coach, yeah. part researcher, part interpreter. <laughs> and this is my favorite one part bartender, <laughs> those those, oh, okay. and those just resonate so well with like all the things that you have to go through when you're, when you're doing a beta program, because you have to deal with internal and external stakeholders. And again, you are, I don't want to say you are no one, but you have no rule over anything outside of the way the beta test is being done. And it's always being scrutinized by the people yeah. that want all the information from it. Yeah. So being flexible being a little bartender-y and a little bit psychologist and hearing the research stuff. And I speak research and I love it. It's one of my favorite skills that I've ever picked up. Um, So it's, that's a, you are a CV professional, uh, Casey.
1: Yeah. (laughs) There
0: you go. Yeah. Um, I wanted to wrap up today's episode. Um, Just asking you like, Hey, what is some advice that you would give to some uh, beta program managers and what's a, a, what advice would you give to your past self as well before you kind of entered the world of it?
1: Um. So I think I'd, I'd start off with what I would do again, um, <laughs> and I think I think the two things that I would do again immediately were um, being able to say we're going to start our program based on our mission and our values. Like, I've just I feel like that setting it up so we're tying it directly to who we are and how we do work has paid off again and again. Um, I think building really great subject matter expert teams that, so it's not just, it's not me making this up, it's me going to them and saying, I need your expert advice. I need you to help define this. And as part of this, when we have those test results, I want to be able to point to you and say, like you raise your hand and say, I stand behind these results because I helped define them. I think that's worked extremely well. Um, and then I think that um, that being able to begin with the end in mind. So starting off every test by saying what are what is our end results for our res- like the test results, how do we support our team and how do we support our customer? That we define what that's going to look like, and then we're not going to deviate it for, from it. So we're going to provide excellent customer service. We're going to make sure our team is supported, that they're not put in a place where they don't have the support they need. And then um, we're gathering those metrics in all of the different ways that we need to. Um, I think that what I would do differently, um, especially when we first started kind of the yeah. beta testing, it was one where um, it, I felt probably a lot of self-imposed pressure to make sure that we had results like and it was adding value. And so, with that, a lot of times um, I would go to extraordinary, extraordinary efforts to be able to like gather data and, you know, pull it and put it together and get it out and respond to things. Um, and because of that, it meant that you know, I was working a lot of hours or you know, doing stuff that long term isn't scalable or you know, I, mm-hmm. it's not something that someone can do forever. And so, I think if I had to do it again, I would ask for help faster and earlier and say I need. I need additional help here. And these are the reasons this is where I need help. Um, Cause I think that it's easy um, to set yourself or like to, to, to put things in a program where then there's the expectation of being able to do it. Um, and it, it was invisible to everybody else. Like <laughs> the, no one sees what's happening. So I, I don't think I did myself any favors with that. So I would say when you're building a program, build it to be scalable and also make sure to ask for help when you need it.
2: That's the, it's the hardest part. And one of the biggest things I see in program managers is they will, you know, bend over backwards to get something done because it's actually easier than trying to explain what value they're getting and how we can scale this and how we can, uh, what help we need to get. So I hear all the time, like I'm too busy doing this stuff to be able to get more resources to do this better. I'm like, that's a, that's a, a huge problem. It's, it's, it's very counterintuitive to making sure that your program is getting yep. good quality data and and efficiently, right? Because if we're going spending 12-hour days and, and, and enforcing this stuff through, how are we making ourselves, how are we making this scalable? One of the best yep. advice I ever got from anybody is um, you need to make yourself replaceable. You need yep. to be replaceable. And that is the key to stepping up into, say, management. Because if you can explain exactly what's going on, why it's valuable, the ROI of it, yep. uh, what you need in place, that is loads harder than just doing it, right? Yep. It's It takes a lot more. And sometimes Smart. I've been there, right? I, I've had to do the exact same thing you're doing with my 12 yep. to 16 hour days, scraping mm-hmm. through everything I can. And it's like, oh, I, I have that same advice. Thank you. You gave myself my <laughs> past advice to some, I don't know how I'm gonna use it, but
1: <laughs> well, it's it's hard when you're starting program too because so many times it's yeah. the um you know somebody says how how will we get this done it's not doable and you're like okay so if i just do it once then i have proof we can do it right like yeah. if it's a little of that kaizen model of like oh we can build on this after it's been done once um but it, that also can work against you have to be able to do Maybe yeah. I do it once, but then I've documented it all so that we can make sure to not have it like we have additional support.
2: Yeah. I, I second it. You, setting yourself up for future success is key. Yeah. Yes. You can do it once, but that does, it, you might get stuck doing it again and mm-hmm. again and again. And then you have no help because you are the person who, who does that.
1: <laughs> yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Yeah.
0: Well, Casey. Thank you so much for joining us. Um, So many unique insights. uh, The perspective that you had was incredible. Just, you know, we haven't talked to someone who's from the healthcare field. And I think everything that you shared today was was awesome. So thank you so much for for being on the episode today.
1: Well, thank you so much. I I really appreciate it. And I, I have to say that when I started reaching out to all of these You know, beta um, program managers across the nation to ask, like, what do I need to be thinking about? Again and again, they'd say, "Uh, you need to look at center code. (laughs) Oh, (laughs) which they they shared a lot of other insights, but that was one of the things that they'd also say is, like, this is one of the tools that will make your life a lot better.
0: So, well, thank you. I don't think we we could get a better endorsement than that, right? So, (laughs) (laughs) it's solid, but yeah, thank you so much. Thank you for listening to the Delta Huddle podcast enjoyed today's episode, leave us a like or a five-star rating. You can also find us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, YouTube, and anywhere else you get your podcasts. We'll see you in the next episode, and happy testing.